Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelec. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. I'm Eva Medelec, and my guest today is Anita Russell. Now, Anita is a personal transformation expert, best-selling author, professional speaker, and inflection point podcaster. She's dedicated to working with people she encounters in everyday life through coaching, speaking, writing, leading, and networking, women and business owners, and professionals in particular. She is the founder and CEO of The Place to Soar, a social enterprise dedicated to cultivating change to unleash the human potential for good in the world. And we can all use some more tapping into our human potential for good. Welcome to the show today, Anita. So happy to have you. Thank you, Eva. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk to you, but first, let's help the audience get to know you a little bit better. So who is Anita Russell? So I love acronyms, right? And I created an acronym for a word that carried a very negative connotation for me. And I needed to reinvent that word. And in reinventing that word, it kind of defines how I see myself. And the word is the word stupid, right? Interesting. Wow. I created the word stupid as an acronym that stands for a super talented, unique person in development. So that is essentially how I see myself when I look over the course of my entire life. That's that's kind of who I am and who Can I, I clap for you on that. <laughs> yes, yes. You're, I get, love you're getting some that. hand clap. That is I so powerful. So I'm curious if you don't mind my asking mm-hmm. is what what provoked you, if you will, I don't even know if that's the right word, but what had you think you think of yourself as stupid? What experience had you think of yourself as stupid? So there were things that I experienced growing up in, in, you know, things that occurred in my household and that word was used on a regular basis. And it got to the point where as I was getting older, I started defining myself in that, in, in those terms, meaning for example, if I was working on a project and I, if I make a mistake, the first thing that would pop in my mind is, oh, that was stupid or, oh, you're stupid or, oh, this. But it just got to the point where that negative self-taught was kind of like, you need to figure out a way to stop that. Particularly when I moved into the profession of life coaching, because what I found is that I am the perfect example of my ideal client. And so reinventing that word was really a way that I was coaching myself because it was a word that kept recurring. And then one day it just occurred to me, well, what if you just change the meaning of that word, change what it actually means to you when you hear that word? So now whenever I hear that word, that is the phrase that comes immediately into my mind. And so that negative self-talk isn't there anymore. 
That is so powerful. Words are powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm here. I'm listening to what you're saying about the self-talk mm-hmm. and guilty as charged. But I've also am in the process of transforming my self-talk. I mean, I, I've always started my day with some some powerful affirmations. Mm-hmm. But like you said, throughout the day, some of the judgment that we put on ourselves when something doesn't go right or we make a mistake or, you know, we do something that uh, doesn't work out. Some of that self-talk can um, really impact us. I, I used to, you know, even how I described how I looked and my body and, and things like that. And that is all so freeing to get rid of the negativity around that. Now I can look in the mirror and say, hmm, not bad. You're, ah, well, you're yeah. doing well. And I even want to um, remove the for the certain age number, right? Not yeah. bad for this number or that age or that age. Like not bad in general, regardless of your age, girl. Yeah, yeah. Keeping it together. So mm-hmm. that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I and I'm sure that's really valuable to people who are listening. So tell us a little bit more. You said you were a life coach. What problems do you solve? Well, that problem right there is definitely one of them. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> right. and, and essentially what it boils down to is helping people to not be fearful of transformation or be fearful of change. And because I, I, my sense is that most people walk around with this sense of this is where I am but this is kind of sort of where I would really like to be, but there's a gap in between. And so that gap in between is where the growth happens, where the transformation happens and and all of that. And so my being a life coach, that's the space that I step into with people is helping them to kind of figure out how do I get there from where I am? And like I said earlier, when I look at my own journey, because I'm the person who left corporate America, um, but I broke the cardinal. I tell people all the time, I broke the cardinal rule that you don't leave one thing before you have something else in place. It it was just time for me to go. You burned Um, the boats, as Winston Churchill would say. You know, there was was no escape route. You had to make it work. I love it. It was like, okay, this is where you are. I'm a woman of faith. And so I took that as a walk of faith. And um, just eventually, over the course of time, figured out that this coaching, but like I said, as I was going along, and I could just remember learning about the coaching profession, how does it work, and all of that. And I'm like, my gosh, I need this. I need that. So just learning about that process I was able to self-coach, if you will, and just really started taking an honest look at myself. Okay, you just walked out of corporate America and there's this place over here that you're trying to get to, but there's all this stuff in the middle that is full of uncertainty and questions and all of that. So you need to put yourself on this pathway where you can begin to figure all of that out so you can design that path forward. As a matter of fact, when I left corporate America, the theme of my retirement party was my redesigned life. 
Although at the time I didn't know what it was, I didn't know exactly what it was going to be redesigned to, but I knew it was going to be something very different. You knew it was under renovation and the design was going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way of looking at it. I love what you shared about, um, you know, learning about life coaching. When I was a dental hygienist, there's this route I took to work and I'd get off the exit and there was this little building that said life coaching. And I remember thinking... who needs a life coach? Who (laughs) needs a coach and how to live? Like, how messed up do you have to be to be a life coach? This is totally from pure ignorance, right? Not knowing anything about life coaching or the industry until one of my mentors, my real estate coach and mentors, um, encouraged me to enroll into a leadership program that um, embodied a lot of life coaching. And I saw the value like, oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? Mm-hmm. You know, life coaching really is, you know, as one of my business coaches would say, yeah, the pickle inside the jar can't read the label. You can't read the label if you're inside the jar and the way coaching helps you see what the rest of the world see and see things about yourself and discover things about yourself that you um may not have realized and have the opportunity for the transformation, for the change. It's, it's extremely powerful. And then guess who is a high performance life coach? Exactly. Now? Like, <laughs> I still like, you know, I'm retired too from that profession, but I was like, wow, I just want to walk into that building and apologize to whoever's in there for what I, the thoughts I had while driving by. Mm-hmm. So, so let me share, if I may, of uh, course. one little tidbit with you. Uh, when I was in corporate America, my background is in research. So I entered the industry as a drug discovery scientist. But one of the issues in that environment is your level of education. And I was not a PhD scientist and it just was not in the cards, if you will, for me to go back to school and get a PhD out of kids and, and all of that. But so I, when I left the lab, I moved into a learning and development role where my role was to support the, um, the professional development of the scientific community, the members of the scientific community. But there was one person that I worked with. Um, I've worked with a lot of external vendors. And one of them, we got to, uh, I worked with her over the course of a number, a few years, and we kind of got to know one another. And she used to tell me, Anita, I see the way you work with people, the way you connect with people, the way you inform people. You are, she was an executive coach. And she said to me, you are a life coach. Just kind of tucked it away. And then when I, when I did leave, I just said, well, let me just pull that little memory out of my brain <laughs> and take a look at this coaching thing. And that was how that all came to it's me. It's powerful to have someone see gifts in you that you didn't know you Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that, that's very similar to what happened to me. So now how are you an expert? at this? What makes you an expert at solving these problems, helping people change and their transformation? I would say that one of my key gifts is being able to uh, sort of take on this perspective taking mode, meaning it's my way of dropping any judgment or any bringing any of my own anything into the conversation or into 
um, what this person is experiencing as we're going through the journey. So whenever I am working with someone, the key indicator for me that I'm on the right track is when I ask a person a question and they say, oh my gosh, I never thought about it like that. And so for me, that power of being able to remove yourself from your own perspective and step into the perspective of this individual as their, their story is unfolding and your role is to basically ask them questions about the very story that they're sharing with you. And if I didn't have that ability, it's kind of like exhortation too. If I didn't have that ability to really step out of myself and literally into their story to be able to ask the right questions so that that light bulb goes off and they come up with what that next step or that next thought might be, but it's all aligned with me being able to ask them the right questions that point them in the direction that they need to go in. And sometimes it's a, like I said, it's a direction that they haven't even considered. So how did you figure that out? Because human nature, we like to tell people what to do, mm-hmm. what they should do and should all over themselves and we should on them, they should on themselves. Mm-hmm. It's like, you should do this and why don't you do that? What I found, you know, in coaching, I mean, that is the power of coaching is having people, you know, come to their own um, realizations and, um, and transformations um, by asking the right questions that bring out their greatness and not their limitations, if you will. But what I find with people who, not, who are not good at coaching, there's a lot of telling people what to do, mm-hmm. steering them in certain directions. How did you um, figure out that distinction, if you will, mm-hmm. to make you a powerful coach? I mean, what, what guidance or research or education did you have to support you in that journey? Mm-hmm. Well, the certificate program that I took the very first time was the, the opening to me being able to kind of do that. But there's a, 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 an incident that I had. Well, not an incident. Um, it was a situation that I was in when I was in corporate America, right? It was actually a really good situation. I was working on a, a project. I used to lead the um, African-American affinity group as part of the company's diversity strategy at that time. And our group was approached by the uh, president of the, the foundation to do a project in South Africa, right? And so initially when I was doing the work, I saw myself as the person, the strategist, the planner, put the team together, send them to South Africa. But the people that I was working with, I just remember this one particular evening, we were in a conference room because this was work that we did outside of our regular jobs. So we're in this conference room and they're looking at me and they're like, Anita, you're getting this all wrong. You are supposed to be the one to go. And so then it kind of settled into my mind after a while, because I had never been to Africa before. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Then I literally went into a month long just reevaluating myself because the number one thing for me was 
I do not want to go into somebody else's country, somebody else's culture and language and food and clothing and everything and bring any prejudice, bring any bias, bring any, any of that with me. So by my faith, I literally prayed, I got anything that's in me that could hinder me being the best person that I could be on their soil, interacting with them, connecting to them. I need you to please remove that from me. So that was a very pivotal kind of thing for me. Not that I carried a lot of that stuff around in me, but because I was going into a situation I had never been in before. And I wanted to make sure that I was preparing my own heart and my own mind to be able to encounter individuals in a space that I've never been in before. So it's part of the emptying out, if you will, you know, in order to be in a space to receive, you know, it's like if your cup is already full and you add to it, you know, it's going to overflow. But if you create space so that you can receive um, from this other culture, from this other country, from this other experience, mm-hmm. and that's part of the transformation. We've got to let some things go yes. so that we yes. can make space to receive what we're meant to have. That's a beautiful yeah. story. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. It's a great time to take a short break. And um, when we come back, Anita, I want to talk about your book. You wrote this book called Cultivating Change from the Inside Out. And I want to go into a little bit about your inspiration for the book, what the book is about, and have our listeners know where they can also get the book if they are interested. So stick with us, guys. We will be right back after this short break. Stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun. Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. 
That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Anita Russell, a change expert. Now, Anita, mm-hmm. I know you talk a lot about change. You even wrote a book about it. Tell us a little bit about the book and why you even decided to write it. Absolutely. So this is the story. It goes back to uh, 2020. So in March of 2020, uh, my second grandson was born. He was born March 14th, 2020. And was that the day the world shut down? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's really interesting that you said that because the week before the world shut down, we went into the hospital and the world hadn't shut down. By the time we were leaving everything, just in a matter of what, I think she was in the hospital for seven days. She had some complications uh, towards the end and she ended up being in the hospital for about seven days. And I just remember when we were leaving gloves and masks and, you know, all kinds of. Yeah, um, that, that was quite the experience. But yeah. look at your, your grandchild has said, OK, now's the time for me to come in and right, exactly. change the world. <laughs> exactly. So then that was in March. And then in May of 2020, we all know the, the murder of George Floyd. And so uh, shortly after he was murdered. There was a Black Lives Matter protest here in the city of Pittsburgh. And my daughters were attending, my two daughters, um, one of which is the mom of Cairo. Mm-hmm. And the other one, um, so there was the two of them and then one of my nephews. So the three of them are preparing to go out and march. And uh, Olivia, who is Cairo's mom, uh, I walked into the room where, where she was sitting and a baby was lying next to her. And she just had this incredibly solemn look on her face. And I'm like, Olivia, what's what's going on? And we had a conversation and we were had a conversation about protesting. We had a conversation about George Floyd and that whole thing that was that was um, unfolding. And in that conversation, though, we realized that in my family, we represented three generations of protesting. So my mom was an activist and then I had my share of protesting mostly in my college years and that. And now here, my two daughters are going out to prepare to march. But what we realized is that we were all three of those generations, we were marching for the same thing. And that is the birthright to just freely and peacefully exist in the skin in which I was born. But the question that really sparked the book was what my daughter asked me about Cairo. And she asked me if I thought in his lifetime, he was going to have to protest all also for the same exact thing. And that question just evolved. And now it, it officially became the Cairo question. Will Cairo have to protest in his lifetime for the birthright to freely and peacefully exist in the skin in which he is, was born. And that question is what sparked the book, Cultivating Change from the Inside Out. Because what I began to understand was that as big as this issue is, and we've got the history of ta- tackling it through a social change, through legal change. We have you know, the Brown versus the Board of Education. We've had the you know the the civil rights movement in general we've had all of these things and we're still grappling with the same issue 
And so I, from a life coaching perspective, started to look at it from the perspective of individuals. And so when I wrote that book, I wrote that book through a coaching lens of helping people to kind of get a sense of, so the, the book is kind of written from the, the standpoint of with racism as the backdrop, but what's in the forefront of it is you have to begin to examine yourself because you have to take a look at what is in your thoughts, your mind, your, and your beliefs, and how does that emerge or show up in your words, your actions, and your behaviors on an individual level? You have and to so know yourself you before you can know. grow yourself. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I say and that so for all me, the time. It was just about taking a coaching approach. And so the, the, the book Cultivating Change is kind of like a guidebook on how to take that approach. There, basically, there's six keys that I have listed in there. And it's all about you doing that critical self-reflection to get a sense of who you are and how you walk through the world on multiple levels, racism being one of them, but how do you behave when you go to work? How do you behave when you are in your household with your family and all of that? So it's drawing that attention and that critical self-examination inward. That was the whole entire point of writing the book. Why, what, what do we need to change and why do we need to change? But that's different for everybody, mm -hmm. right? That's completely different for everybody. And so when I look at it through the racism lens, I, I think, like, for example, I'll give you a perfect example. The two women that do the podcast with me, right? These are women that I would describe as being true allies. In, not in the sense that they know everything that there is to about, be, know about racism, but they're willing to do exactly what I just said, to examine themselves, look at their own thoughts, ideas, beliefs. So we've had some incredible discussions when they've discovered something about themselves that they wanted to change. And so there's that piece of it, but there's also the piece of it where they trust me to be able to tell them from my perspective, what does racism, what does oppression, what does that actually not look like, but what does that actually feel like to me? And they're able to receive that. But the main reason they're able to receive that, I believe, is because they're already open to receiving what is already inside of them. So I think when you open up yourself to really knowing yourself, it gives you the opportunity to open up to really know someone else because you're kind of applying some very similar principles. Right. Exactly. And change is hard. It you know, we all is. change is hard. <laughs> we resist it. You know, my dad's going to be 90 in a couple of months. And, you know, <laughs> from from old people wanting to change children, like in their routines, you know, you ask people, I love change because I think I just get bored easily. So mm -hmm. I'm like, OK, what's next? What's new? What's exciting? But in general, change is hard. Mm -hmm. How do you get folks to want to even change? I would say the first step is recognizing that that space that I've talked about in between where you are and where you want to be, that is your total discomfort zone. So 
when you're crossing through that space, and I use a bridge motif when I talk about this, that you're actually crossing this bridge, but that bridge is your discomfort zone. And so if you're not willing to step full force into that discomfort zone, because, and, and again, when on the break, I mentioned uh, Lisa Nichols, because Lisa Nichols looks at it like your success lies in your discomfort zone. So if you're, if you don't get to the point where the discomfort is so unbearable that you have to make a change because staying in that space, again, if you think about Lisa Nichols' story, if she had not made that choice that I want to step out of this space that I'm in and into something completely different, her life could really be on a very different path. And even when I think about myself, I've had to cross that discomfort bridge as well. But I look at that discomfort zone as that transformational space where your success lies. I mean, just leaving corporate America, there was nothing comfortable. The whole idea was fraught with discomfort for me. But at the end of the day, I was faced with a choice. And I realized that the space that I was in had changed enough that that space itself was no longer comfortable for me. And so now you're coming into a space, your workspace, never had I had a, a, a situation where my workspace felt uncomfortable, right? But now here I am. So I'm either going to duke it out and try to figure out how I can manage in this space or follow a different voice that was saying it's time for you to leave this space and do something different. So that whole entire, I'd say I left in 2013. From 2013 to about 2015, I was literally in discomfort. But at the same time, I knew I couldn't go back. The only way that I could go was forward, which meant I had to walk through that discomfort zone. But when I look at where I am now, if I had not made that choice, I don't even know where I would be to be perfectly frank with you. And you also, like we said earlier, burnt the boats. Like you couldn't go back. Right. The only way was forward to exactly. battle, to that, through that fear. And, you know, fear is a lot, uh, is a big part of facing that discomfort zone, going yes. through it, you know, yes. breaking, go, you know, you, the only way out is through, if you will. So you've got to go through that incredible discomfort. Um, and it's fearful. But what are the benefits? Let's oh talk about the benefits to, you know, walking through that discomfort zone and, and experiencing the change, whatever that change is. I would say the biggest benefit is that you see so much that was inside of you. I mean, there's nothing that is inside of me now that wasn't there before. I just couldn't see it. Like when I shared earlier about uh, the uh, colleague of mine saying, Anita, you a life coach, you have all the earmarks of a life coach. But I didn't, I didn't get it. I simply didn't get it. But once I got it, I could see what she saw in me that made her say that. Right. And like I had mentioned earlier, this gift of exhortation, those are gifts that I always had. 
I just didn't use them from a career perspective. So, for example, I've worked with young people like most of my life. I've done something with young people, right? Programs, youth programs. I've been a Sunday school teacher and all of that. But I never saw that within myself from the, the, the standpoint of professionalism or entrepreneurship. I didn't see that. It took some other things for me to begin to see that which was already inside of me, I just had to move all that clutter out of the way in order to allow myself to blossom. And then once I did that, that's when I was like, oh, wow, this is who I really am. All that other stuff was just leading up to where yeah. I am. Yeah, you know? it, it's it part of the journey, if you will. Absolutely. But Absolutely. let me ask you this. You know, because I similarly had a um, a mentor and a coach mm-hmm. see my gifts, recognize my gifts, share what he saw in me to me, and um, that kind of sparked, if you will, the uh, it gave me the courage and sparked a fire in me to explore further and deeper and bring out those gifts, similar to your experience. Mm-hmm. Do you think if no one had shared your gifts with you, what they saw you, the label that they saw that you couldn't see because you were inside the jar. Do you think your path would have been the same? I think it would have been because I, so there were other things that kind of came out for even like authorship, writing a book. That was something that I discovered in myself after I left corporate America. I wasn't writing books before I left corporate America, but after leaving, um, because what I, what I started doing was, cause now I'm in this space where I don't really know what direction I'm supposed to go in. So now I just have to figure, figure some things out. And so that was when I started using uh, social media more as an example. So I started off on Facebook, but I was, it wasn't about being on Facebook for me to like make friends. Like I'm literally trying to figure out like, you, there's like this other stuff that's going on inside of me. And I met someone who had gone through a really bad divorce, right? Very painful divorce. And she, when I met her, she was in that process of repairing herself. And in repairing herself, she created this mom group on Facebook. And I joined the the group and that was in that time period, that was the best thing that I could have, that I could have done. She, and she um, did a book project, motherhood dreams and success. That was my very first collaborative project that I did was motherhood dreams and success. And that book alone, it was just one chapter. It was like 1000 words but it uncovered stuff that was inside of me that started me saying, okay, there's some stuff in there that I need to really explore. And then I started hearing myself, you know, I think there's another book, like a real book inside of me, real meaning a book that I wrote myself. By yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And And you know, what's interesting about that is so many people are afraid to just start because Mm -hmm. they think they need to see the whole path first. And what I want to just share with the listeners and encourage them uh, from your story is we just have to start taking the first step. Yes. And as you are on the journey, what will happen is 
the discovery, the unfolding, the, the transformation, the opportunity, if you will, will start to unfold and you will figure it out. You will just be on the journey. It'll be struggling at some time. Sometimes it'll be more fun, more easy, Mm -hmm. but you just have to get started somewhere and take that first step in order for you to have these opportunities and chances for discovery on what your path is and what's important to you and what your priorities are uh, on the book that's in you. That is awesome. So thank you for writing that book. Um, What did I want to ask you? Um, In the process of writing the book, just real quick before we take another break, Mm -hmm. what's one thing you discovered about yourself that you can share? I would say the one thing that I discovered about myself was my ability to use words not just to use words to write a sentence, but to use words to make people actually feel something. Mm. So if you're just reading words on a piece of paper, like if you pick up an organic chemistry book and you're just kind of reading through that, not going to feel very much on the inside. (laughs) But if you pick up Cultivating Change from the Inside Out, or the, the book that I ch- mentioned earlier, my first real book, if you will, I Want to See Lady's House. That was about telling my story, but it wasn't just the words of telling my story. I was very conscious of what I wanted people to feel when, when they were reading my story. And some of the feedback that I got from people kind of verified what I was hoping to put out there. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Let's take a short break, guys. When we come back, uh, Anita, I want to talk about your social impact mastermind when we come back. So stick with us, guys. We will be right back. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends, you set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel.
You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Okay, we are back with Anita Russell talking about change and social impact. Now, before we went to break, I had mentioned that you are hosting a social impact mastermind. For those of us who may not know what a mastermind is, can you explain that to us, please? Absolutely. So if you think about like when you're in a classroom, generally when you're in a classroom, like it might be a college class, you have a professor at the front of the room and you have a student body that's kind of absorbing the information. A mastermind is very different because the master with a mastermind approach, the person who is sort of the professor, if you will, is not the holder of all the knowledge, right? The knowledge is what comes out of the conversations with the individuals that are a part of the mastermind. So it's really about, you know, if, if, if you have like this central question or the central topic that you might be uh, considering and everybody bringing their own um, experiences with that particular topic in such a way that it enables other people to learn from that. So it kind of gets back to what I was talking about earlier about being able to do this perspective taking. For me, being in a mastermind also involves perspective taking because you have to be willing to te- step into the perspective of the your co co uh, masterminders, if you will, because it's generally a cohort of people that meets over. It could be like an extended period of time. My mastermind meets for eight weeks, um, twice a week, and it, it's very intense fully immersive kind of conversations and you have to be willing to bring your whole self, your whole mind, your thinking, not just your opinions and things of that nature, but being open to absorbing what other people have to say. So it's a little bit different from just being in like a class or, um, you know, like a lecture or something along those lines. Well, I know this mastermind is about social impact. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is the noise around creating social impact is not as loud, if you will, um, as it had been after May of 2020. And, and thereafter, it's been kind of on a downward trajectory, if you will. What are you hoping to accomplish with this mastermind? Well, I would maybe push back on that a little bit, only from the standpoint of the people and the organizations that I'm connected to. So my social impact mastermind is really about anti-racism activation, right? And there are people out there who they've been doing anti-racism work for years, and so I look at it from the standpoint of when something big like the murder of George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery, or even if you take it back to Trayvon Martin, you take it back to Emmett Till, there's always that, that uprising at the, at the onset of whatever that situation might be. Or if you think about the civil rights movement and all the, the, the videos and things like that that we saw on the screen 
But there were so many people involved in the movement that were not on the screen, right? So I mentioned earlier that my mom was an activist. My mom was straight up grassroots. So it wasn't about what was like kind of bubbling to the top. It's like all of this work that's going on at the grassroots level. And when, when you get like a groundswell of that type of work, you kind of get to the point where you wake up one day and you're like, oh, wow, things look different now. I wasn't necessarily expecting that. And so I think there's a lot of conversation going on different um, organizations, or again, thinking about uh, the whole issue with racism. If you look at a lot of the universities now are coming forward and saying, yes, we do have a history of slavery. Our foundation is comes out of the uh, profits of slavery and things like that. So I think the conversations are still happening, but they're not necessarily happening from like, a, like what's, you know, what's that big thing? From the pulpit, if you will, it's more yeah, from the pul- exactly from exactly the foundation from exactly behind, not necessarily closed doors, but in in the in the rooms, you know, there there's rooms where these conversations are happening. Um, Absolutely, you know, as somebody who's been in this work uh, as well, and mm-hmm. uh, my foray into the work didn't didn't start until after George Floyd's murder. I even wrote a book called The Intimacy of Race. And I have a Facebook group of the same name to really help white bodied individuals have resources, have access to resources to increase their knowledge if they're open to learning more about Mm -hmm. it. You know, we talk about opening, we talk about being willing to um, believe somebody's lived experience, if you will, and, and being able to share that. And I specifically did this group for white bodied individuals who wanted to change. But what I found, um, you know, just like with anything, there was a lot of activity in the beginning. All right. And then that slowly weighs uh, wanes, if you will. Yeah. And that can be discouraging. Uh, it, it, it knocks me down. It never, never knocks me out. Uh, and I just do what I need to do to continue to stay in the work. But how do you, how can we, if you will, get white bodied folks who don't have the level of pain that black and brown body folks carry with us to want to join these movements, join these masterminds, be a part of the grassroots uh, efforts for change, if you will. How do we get people who are not feeling the same level of pain? Not that they're not feeling any pain. I'm just leveling that off a bit, to be clear. Mm -hmm. And, And don't have that much skin in the game, if you will, <laughs> meaning color of skin. Right, right, right. How do we get them <laughs> to want to continue this work and maybe join this mastermind? Right. So I think a lot of it is just simply soul searching. So I was, and I'm a part of this, um, this organization that has this 15 year plan for dismantling racism and activating um, anti and anti-racism activation. 15 years. We've only gotten through like year one so far. But I think what it boils down to is so I'll give you a quick example. One of the um, uh, meetings that we have was virtual just like this, but um, not um, obviously not a, a podcast recorded or it was just basically our group discussing. Right. 
and, and, and it's a mixed group of people, right? Black people, white, mostly black and white uh, for the most part. And there was one particular woman who's been a part of the organization for a while, very vocal and, you know, on the, on the right page, I would say within this context, what I would describe as the right page. And, but she made a statement when she was talking about how that work actually got done or, or got started, I should say, and that it was prompted by the murder of George Floyd. And the way she, now this is a, a white woman, and the way she perceived it was like, oh my gosh, I, we were all so shocked. And then she went on and said what she said. And then in response to that, I said, you may have been shocked, but we weren't shocked. We were pissed off. <laughs> That's what yeah. we were. You we know, were, but that was a straw that broke the camel's back, but exactly. we were not surprised. Exactly. Not shocked, surprised at all. But the fact that I said that, it opened something up in her because it was like when I said earlier, when people say, oh, I never thought about it like that. That was exactly what her response was like. Oh, my gosh, you're absolutely right. I'm looking at it through my lens but you see it through a completely different lens. And then when I think about somebody like myself, um, who, you know, or, or, you know, any black person who can trace their part of their roots back and, you know, I can trace my grandfather back to like Alabama and, you know, all that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And we carry all of that history within us. Right. And if you don't have that history, and I'm talking like it's embedded in your cells, so to speak, right? If you don't have that, it's very difficult for you to understand that experience unless you're willing to listen to someone who can tell you what that experience, um, that experience, I tell you about that experience, number one, and number two, it also, means that you have to be willing to acknowledge that you don't know what you don't know. And the only way you can discover what you don't know is for people who have those experiences to tell you. And to it. listen. And to listen. Yeah. Exactly. Listening is key. And most yeah, yeah. people Absolutely. don't know how to listen. You know, we're going to interject. <gasps> you know, clutch up pearls, we're shocked, no way, it's impossible, you know, all of that. And part of being in this anti-racism work is to really believe the lived experiences that people are sharing with you without, Absolutely. And, and just believe it, you know, no need to really comment and try to have compassion would mm -hmm. be the right word because empathy is hard if you've not been black, and know what it's like to be black. It's really hard to imagine yourself in uh, a black body, but you can have empathy. I mean, um, excuse me, I meant to say compassion and try to seek to understand it a little bit better mm -hmm. um, by believing what people are sharing with you. So I know that you've mentioned more than once, and I've mentioned it too, that you do have a podcast. What, it, what is your podcast about? Well, the name of the podcast is Inflection Point Podcast. And that podcast was uh, another thing that grew out of. So when we talked earlier about the Cairo question and the cultivating change was the first thing that grew out of that. But the second thing that grew out of that was the podcast, because 
I looked at the place where we where we are as an inflection point, right? So if you remember your calculus and there's that point where things can either go that way or they can go this way. And I just Did you really like, ask me to remember calculus right now. <laughs> The only reason I remember it is because I looked up inflection point when I was putting the whole concept together just to refresh my own. Memory. All right. Because that was one thing I said, I will never have to know or use calculus again in my life. And you just proved me wrong because you asked me to remember some. But the point being, if you look at the definition of an inflection point through a social lens, it's that place where dramatic change has the potential to happen. And so doing the podcast, our focus is basically on anti-racism activation. And, but it's a very in-depth kind of thing. So I use a lot of history. Oh my gosh, I use a lot of history because in part of my life, I hang around with like professors, historians and all of that. So I get fed like all of this information about the history. So a lot of like, for example, we did a segment where we really took like a chunk of time, like all of the events that led up to the Juneteenth, you know, the whole thing with the Juneteenth celebration and really dissected all of those different pieces from that historical uh, perspective and, and everything. And so the podcast, like we do a lot of research before we do the podcast. So we always have so a what it, what is the purpose of the, the podcast? Is it, you know, is, is it for change and social impact? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it goes So how how can folks that. get in touch with you, find out about your book, find out about the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Uh the best place to go is my website, theplacetosoar.com. That's awesome. the absolute best place to go. And that's soar S O A R, the place to soar. Dot com information is there about my books, podcasts, events that I have coming up, and the mastermind. And the mastermind. mastermind, absolutely, that information is there. Yeah. So if you want to stay connected to Anita and be involved in a lot of the work that she's doing for change and social impact, please go to a, the the, the place to store.com. Anita, I just want to thank you for the work that you do, for the passion that you're showing and sharing around the work that you do and sharing all of your knowledge with us. And to our listeners, thank you. Thank you for choosing to listen to the show today. And hopefully you found something of value and useful to you so that you can focus on what matters most to you. And I hope you'll find the time to join us again next week. So as usual, I love to leave you with a quote before I sign off. And this one, I don't have the actual, uh, can't credit it, but here's the quote. When the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain it takes to change, change occurs. So that's so appropriate for what we talked about today. So I hope to see you all and, and have you join us next week. Until next time, bye for now, everybody. Make it a great week. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week. 